And it says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness. Excuse me. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you, have been, uh, that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses him who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they not... They, excuse me, I'll try that again. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how powerful, sorry, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word again this morning. And thank you, Lord, that your word is so rich. And it doesn't matter where we open the pages, Lord, you speak to us. Thank you, Father. I pray that you would speak to us this morning and that people would hear what you have to say, Lord, not what I have to say. Amen. So I thought we'd focus on, no, I won't ask you as a quiz, um, the solus Christus in Christ alone. Okay, so it's not just a chance to speak Latin in church. These, these five solas are really, really important kind of um, foundations, I suppose, that we kind of we build our faith on. Um, it was actually brought about through the Reformation in um, the 15th century. It was a Catholic priest called Martin Luther. Um, kind of got fed up of the way things were going a little bit, I think. And that's to sort of, I've got to phrase it quite carefully. But a, a lot of their faith was built around faith and. So faith and, make sure you give certain amounts of money. It's, it's Jesus and, make sure you, you take the Eucharist. It's, it's the Bible and, and this and, and the other and. And he said, no, 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 there are five things alone. 
I'm going to take the one just in Christ alone this morning. And I think it's very important that we see this, that we don't fall into this and kind of culture, and we don't fall into this kind of legalistic idea. Believe in Jesus, the work he has done, and make sure you give to Bethel is not what it says. Okay, it's not what it says. Let's get that straight. It's good, but we want you to, to give to Bethel. We want you to do these things, but it comes out of you knowing Jesus first and that you want to do his work. And we often, th- often think about these theological issues, these kind of um, matters of the Bible through the context and the lens of the New Testament, don't we? We've read the Old Testament too, and we know that with hindsight, a lot of these things happened. And it, I think it's quite important that we realize with hindsight, we can see where these, these prophecies were fulfilled. With hindsight, we can see where the story fits together. With hindsight, we knew that the Israelites are going through the desert. They were going to spend 40 years in there. And then we knew, or we know, where they're going to go. I think it's quite important we put ourselves in their shoes and realize they didn't. Or did they? It's important to read the whole Bible and to know how it fits together. Um, And I'm not sure if you realize that the first five books of the Bible are... Any ideas? What are they called? Oh, I like that. The whole range of answers. Yes, the Torah, the Pentateuch. It's the Jewish book of of, of their faith. And it's it's very important that we see that Christianity isn't a separate thing to Judaism. It's, It's a fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. So I want you to see that whenever we look at the Bible, and all my bookmarks are falling out now, it's terrible. But you can see that when we go from cover to cover, the whole thing fits together. This isn't actually a book, is it? It's, it's actually a library. Biblios. It's a library of books. And we've got 66 books written by 40-ish, debatable, different authors. And they all tell one story. So on the left, we have the history of Israel. And on the right, we have the history of what Jesus did for us and prophecies of what's going to happen in the future. So from cover to cover, from contents to maps, we've got this, what they call the scarlet thread, running all the way through the story of the prophecy of Jesus and why Jesus is needed to Jesus coming and then to what Jesus is going to do for us and fulfill the work he's set up in future. We can think of this as the beginning of the book is Paradise Lost. Everything was brilliant at the beginning, wasn't it? God looked at the garden and said, it is good. And then we can see how things fell apart and where we went wrong and we end up learning how Jesus is putting that back together for us in the New Testament. Everything in this book is built on knowledge and a story, and it's basically a book about the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You could look at it as, yeah, I'll I'll say it, from paradise lost to paradise regained. Um, Just be careful if you want to find out more about that and Google it. It's actually a Jehovah's Witness book. But I think the title is, is kind of is important. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Let's go to more stable ground. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Martin Lloyd-Jones. Put it this way. The Bible is not a book that tells us what we must do to put ourselves right. The Bible is not just a book with an appeal to us to do this, that, or the other, to accept certain ideas and put them into practice. It is not a book that teaches morality or ethics. It is not primarily a book that asks us to do anything. I will tell you what it is. It is a great announcement of what God has done. It is God acting, God coming into the garden to the man and woman in their utter hopelessness. What if he hadn't done that? Then we we would have no gospel. There would be no light. 
the world would be in darkness, and at this moment, there would be nothing to say. There would be no hope, but God has come, and God has spoken, and he has revealed a plan and a program. The Bible is revelation. It is not what man thinks or what man aspires to. It is not what man proposes. It is entirely from God. I know nothing about all this apart from the Bible. So all the scripture, just so I get it then. And it is sheer impertinence and ignorance and intellectual arrogance to put your mind forward and say that this part of the Bible is right and that is wrong. It is either all right or it is all wrong. It all hangs together. It is all of a piece. It is divine revelation. I know nothing about God. I know nothing about the way of salvation apart from this. That's why it's important. If you, still this time, if you want to go to the bookshelf at the back and grow one, please do. But with that in mind, let's head back to Romans 10. So again, it starts off by saying, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So I want you to see this, that it's not about zeal, it's not about passion, it's not about how much you believe. Okay, first century, oh, sorry, but Israel in the Old Testament, they had a lot of zeal. In fact, in the first century, they had a lot of zeal for the Lord, but not for Jesus. But incorrect knowledge and incorrect foundations meant their faith was in the wrong thing. Now, we see this all over the place. We can see the differences quite clearly between Christianity and I don't know, Islam, Christianity and Hinduism, Christianity and Buddhism. The differences are quite stark, aren't they? But I think sometimes we look at Christianity and Judaism. It's not a stark difference. This is what I want you to see. This is what I was talking about before. It's not, you know, they're wrong and we're right. It's just they're right, but actually there's more. There's more to know. It's an incomplete account of what is to come. Israel is waiting for, was waiting for, the Messiah to come. We know the Messiah has come, and we know his name is Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, keeping the law is good, but it won't save anyone. It's impossible to be perfect. And I talked about this last time as well, the, the Ten Commandments. It's impossible. I think I've broken every single one almost on a daily or weekly basis. Jesus didn't just come to fulfill the law, though. He came to fulfill the need for and satisfy the lawgiver. The ultimate judge that we have to stand before is God the Father. And when we stand before God, he's not going to say, all right, let's start at the beginning. Number one, how did you do on that one? We're going to have to say, no, I couldn't do any of them. But Jesus Paul continues in Romans 10, chapter, uh, verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith, sola fide, do not say in your heart, who will, descend, sorry, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend, descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that this, the message concerning faith that we proclaim, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, 
And it is with your mouth that you profess and you um, profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, like, I, I'm very mindful that when I stand here and, and talk about anything from this book, I've said it before, I don't want to represent me. I don't want to represent what I think. And I'm, I'm quite conscious that whenever we look at things, we can prove things positively or negatively, can't we? I think you see this um, all over the place, maybe in discussions with friends or in the media or whatever it might be. But you can prove things positively and say, well, look, this is true. And then kind of go on to demonstrate why it's true. And that, that's important. Or you can prove things negatively. You can go around saying, well, this, this is false, this is false, this is false, this is false, so this must be true. And I think it's quite important to see the difference between the two here. We could start talking about, well, there is only one way to be saved, and that's in Jesus. Or we can tend to spend our time going through all the others, saying, oh, this one, no, no, this is wrong because. And this one, no, 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 this is wrong because. I think we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and what he has done and the work he has started and will complete in us. Now, Paul is perfectly clear here. There's one thing and one thing only that you need to do to be saved. Believe in your heart. But, and I, I say that quite advisedly, there's one thing, and I've been saying this all the way along, haven't I? In Christ alone, the scripture alone, the Bible alone. It's not this and, that and, the other. But he does say, doesn't he, actually? Uh, believe in your heart and confess um, with your mouth. Oh, um, but why? Why is that? I mean, why have I been talking rubbish the whole way along? Well, possibly, but I think here, and I hope I haven't, but surely if you know Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God that we can have a relationship with, and that he has saved us from our sins, that he has washed us of our sins, that we can now spend eternity with God because of what Jesus did, wouldn't you want to tell people? Shouldn't we be going out there and confessing him with our mouths? I think it's more confess with your mouth because you believe in your heart, rather than if you don't confess with your mouth, then you can't get there. Verse 14 goes on. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love what Paul's doing here. He's just kind of dismantling every excuse, isn't he? So there's no point saying, you know, we didn't believe because we didn't hear. Well, what are we going to do about it? We need to preach. Okay, who's going to preach? Okay, well, who are they going to preach to? Where are they going to go? Just... Take it apart. Stop excuses and get on with it. They must hear the gospel in order to be saved. The gospel of who? The gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And hopefully, I'm really hopeful that this is why those who come regularly, and maybe those who are not so, um, maybe have started coming more recently, this is why you come. Okay, not part to be part of some kind of religious club that you kind of turn up to, and it's lovely that we can spend time together, and we've got this huge thing in common, and we can catch up and have a nice time, which is good. It's all part of it. But hopefully, you come because of Jesus, because of what he has done. You can belong to any club really superficially, can't you? They kind of say, well, yes, these are the rules of our club. Uh, do you accept them? Yes, I do. This is how we do things. Do you accept that? Yes, I do. Great. Come on in. And that's it. 
I remember years and years ago, I was, um, <laughs> I was big into archery. It's one of the cooler sports that nobody ever talks about because it's too cool. Um, <laughs> but there, it was kind of like there were lots of rules. You had to stick to it. Right, we do this to be safe. We don't do this because it's not safe. You must do this. You mustn't do that. You must pay every month, and you must come regularly to take part in competitions. It's all good stuff. But that's kind of where it stopped. There's no point having a strong faith in the wrong thing, is there? I mean, I could have turned up religiously to every meeting and trained religiously with my bow and arrows and made sure that I was getting gold every time, which I did. I was very good. But it didn't help me a jot in the long run at all. Nobody looks back and goes, wow, I can tell you're an archer. You must have spent years in archery. Nobody knows and nobody cares when I tell them. <laughs> no, no, that's too little too late. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be all right. But you know what, we find this a lot, don't we, with, with atheists and with anyone of any faith at all. And I, it really annoys me, oh, I'm not a person of faith, when you start talking to them. Uh, you might have experienced this when we went out with John recently into the, the village doing um, uh, litter picking and giving out fruit and all this kind of stuff. And you start talking to people, oh, well, I'm not a person of faith. Yeah, you are. Get over it. I bet you wait for the green light to cross that road. And you trust that when people have the green light on your side, you can't see it, but the red light's showing for the cars, and you have faith that they're going to stop. Don't tell me you're not a person of faith. You do have faith, just not in the right thing. And it annoys me a little bit when you know, I'm talking to atheists um, in school or in my work, and, and you hear them go, oh, yes, well, you believe in God. Well, I believe in the flying spaghetti monster. And they think, oh, gosh, here we go. Yes, okay, that's, that's another thing that we can't see and we can't sense and we can't tell it's there, but okay, yes, you can compare God to that if you like. But it's nothing like the same, is it? This isn't a vain hope that we have. This isn't some kind of nebulous kind of like, oh, I really wish that one day this comes true and I go to heaven. It's not about that. It's about a living relationship with the one true God. And Paul says that this is what Israel had. They had a zeal for God. They had a passion for God. But, they, I mean, they were God's people but they just didn't accept Jesus as Lord. They're still waiting for the Messiah, and they haven't seen that he's come. Did they have the knowledge of God that would bring them into a full and right standing with him? But if you compare yourself to the law continuously, then no, none of us will. This is what Jesus did for us. It's amazing news, right? Oh my goodness me. There was more sympathy when I talked about my archery career. This is amazing news, right? Yes. Oh dear. Paul says, you can't believe unless you've heard the right thing. And you can't hear the right thing unless somebody tells you. You can't be, tell you unless they assent. And quite frankly, they're not going to hear it if we kind of, yeah, it's great. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Imagine you saw somebody, right? Picture it this way, put it this way. Imagine you saw somebody. For some weird reason, you're up in an airplane. And you see somebody at the door, and I say a weird reason, it wouldn't be a normal aeroplane, but you see somebody at the door, ready to jump, and you think, wow, this is incredible, I'd love to do this. I'd love to, I genuinely love to do this, so if anybody's got a plane they want to throw me out of, I'd love to try it. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. But imagine somebody stood in the doorway, they got their jumpsuit on, got their goggles on, they're checking the straps and everything else, and they're ready, waiting for the green light to go, and you're sat there thinking, this is incredible, they're actually going to do it. They're gonna, they are going to do it. And then you notice, hang on a minute, why does their parachute say Nike? <laughs> They've got their rucksack on. 
They've got their spare trainers, their drink, and their towel in the bag, and they're just about, what would you do? What would you do? You know if you sit there watching this person jump out with their gym bag on, what's going to happen? <laughs> Did somebody say splat? Yes, eventually, <laughs> eventually, they're going to die. You have knowledge that could save them before they take that ridiculous step. I know it's a trivial, kind of silly example to make. I mean, I don't know where you're going to be sort of sat in a plane with somebody in the door going, oh, that's incredible, let's see them jump out. Because if that happens on my way to America next week, I'm going to be really worried, especially if it's a pilot. But if you see somebody doing that, you're going to be thinking, no, hang on a minute, I've got to stop you. How much more important is it then that we know the answer to this? And ultimately, what you could say, I suppose, is, oh, it's right, they're a Christian. Let them jump. Let's see what happens. Because we know we're going to see them again. That's a really bleak way of looking at it. But they have the answer. They have eternal life. They have a relationship with Jesus. Isn't that good news? Oh, you lot, honestly. Well, look, this is where your homework comes in. Now, I know it's August, and I'm not supposed to give homework until September, but it's happening. Your homework isn't to go to Roos and wait and sort of check for gym bags on, on skydivers. I've never even do it at Roos, I'm not sure. But I want you to, to, to look for opportunities. I'm not saying, you know, look for people wearing gym bags that can do something daft, but please look for opportunities to bring this up. If you want, and please, if you want, I've got a bunch of these in my pocket. Um, if you want a million pounds off me, this offer doesn't last long, but if you want a million pounds off me, come and get one at the end. I'll be happy to give you a bunch of these. This is a, a million pound note that was produced by uh, Living Waters uh, Foundation in America for the Jubilee, uh, not the Jubilee, the coronation. And it's, it's got Prince Charles, oh dear me, does everybody else keep doing that? King Charles on the front, and it's, it's the Bank of Eternity, and when you turn it over, it's the whole gospel. Now, it could be very, very simple that actually you could just go up to some random stranger in the street and say, excuse me, have you had your million pounds yet? Give it to them, and they'll be like, what? And just walk away, that's fine. I'm not saying you have to you know, spend hours talking to them, because I know we have busy lives, but this, and this little bit on the back, this could be showing them that they're wearing a gym bag instead of a parachute, right? Leave it on the bus. Pin it to a notice board in work. Leave them lying around. It's one of those things you're going to pick up and find and think, oh my goodness. If you don't like talking about these things because it feels uncomfortable, that's okay. There are other ways of doing it. And please do see me at the end. I've got a bunch of them to hand out. But we need to do this. This is important. This is really, really crucial that people hear what we have to say. Because people do have faith. They just have faith in the wrong thing. And some people don't think about where they're going. Or some people have completely... um, a groundless faith in something that won't save them. And if it's not centered on Jesus, it's not centered on anything worthwhile. Now, do you remember, gosh, it was a few weeks ago, possibly months ago, when we had Matt Wall? Matt Wall. It was Matt Wall, wasn't it? From the tribe. Not the tribe. It used to be the tribe. Message Wales. Thank you. It wasn't Message Wales. The message. The big ball guy was here. And you wouldn't mind me calling him that, I'm sure. Um, and he was talking about, he spent uh, the morning talking to us about the, the three crosses, didn't he? Remember that? The, the two thieves on the cross, the other side of Jesus. And I think, you know, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> I was looking around this, actually, and one of the things that popped up on my, my internet feed as I was looking around um, and doing research around this. Have you ever heard of Alistair Begg? Yeah, um, Alistair Begg is an amazing, he's actually a preacher in America, but he's got an amazing Scottish accent, which I won't try and imitate at the moment. But he tells a story. He said, um, 
Can you imagine you know, this, this man dies and he gets to the, gets to the gates of heaven and uh, there's an angel there checking people off. He says, oh, oh, hello, who are you? Um, you, know, <laughs> you know me. Um, what are you doing here? I, I don't know. I really don't know. Not a clue. All right, okay. Uh, well, let's, let's do a few checks then. Uh, can you explain to me the, the doctrine of uh, faith alone in Christ alone? No? Oh, okay. Um, well, it says here you haven't attended any Bible studies. You've never been to a church service. Is that true? Well, yeah. So what are you doing here? I, I really don't know. Right, I'm sorry. I've got to get my supervisor. So he gets his supervisor, and the supervisor comes to me over. He says, well, hang on a minute. Can you, can you list off the five solos for me? What are they? This is most irregular. This is very, very strange. Well, what on earth are you doing here? And he says, I don't know. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Now, ultimately, that's, that's going to be the case for a lot of people. We have a faith that we're going to end up with Jesus for eternity, being able to sing praises to him for all of time. But some people don't know that is their destiny yet. Maybe for some people, the one thing between that happening for them and, and not happening for them is a conversation with you. Puts your homework in a different light, doesn't it? And I know that a lot of people will say, and a lot of people do say, and through conversations I've had, people often say, well, oh, that's, that's really narrow though, isn't it? It's, that's a bit elitist. The, the, the only way to heaven, the only way to salvation, the only way to a right standing with God is Jesus. Yeah, you, really, just Jesus. Isn't that too narrow? Yes. Yes, it is. But the Bible admits this too, doesn't it? In Matthew 7, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We need to be pointing people towards the narrow way. Now, look, we can only do this because God has enabled us to. I want you to see that, and I think it's really important we know this. Even the fact that if you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus, you have faith in Jesus, and you confess that with your mouth, the only way you can do that is because God has enabled you to do it. Even our faith in him is a gift from him. We have done nothing. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. There is nothing about us that, that enables us to do this apart from what God has done. And we need to be really careful around this. There's nothing we have done, and there is nothing that we can do. Going back to the original part I was talking about, it's not faith and. It's not the Bible and. It's not Jesus and. Everything comes from God. Now, there is a lot of stuff out there, and you've got to be quite careful. I've already said about the, the um, uh, paradise lost to paradise regained. You've got to be quite careful that there are a lot of messages out there that are very, very similar and kind of lean on this. And actually, there's a whole area of uh, theology called natural theology. Uh, I'm not going to spend too long talking about it this morning, but um, it's, it's essentially trying to prove, and it sounds like a great idea, trying to prove that God exists without using the Bible. And that's kind of where it comes from. And if you can say to scientists, well, look, what about this? What about that? What about the other? It's true. And they go, oh, yes, I can see with my microscope that God exists. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And I think if we go that way, we run the risk of leaving, leaving Jesus out altogether. And remember, if people don't hear about Jesus, they will not be saved. And in fact, in verse 20, it says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Because you see, in Islam, 
they have Jesus. You know that? Jesus is actually part of Islam. He's a prophet, not God, but he's a prophet, and they can say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a Christian. We have Jesus. Yeah, come with us. No, that's, that's not right. But there are lots of people in the Middle Eastern world, lots of um, Muslims who are starting to come to Jesus because of dreams they're having, because of visions they're having, because of God breaking through regardless. And it does say, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. It's happening. In Sikhism, Jesus is considered on the same level as a guru. So they say, yes, we have Jesus too. No, you don't. There's actually a book um, written by a man called Raymond Panikkar, who is a priest and a proponent of interfaith dialogue that says, ah, the unknown Christ of Hinduism. No. Jesus is the only way. He doesn't need to be part of anything else. Jesus is enough. And I want you to see, like I said before, I'm not going to ask you, I was going to do this as a sword drill. Do you remember those in, in Sunday school and stuff? Sheath, swords, draw swords. I was going to, but we're running out of time. I've gone on far too long. No, I won't. I won't. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, this is laced all the way through. This is scarlet thread. This isn't just a passage I've picked on. It's kind of coming up. It's, it's there all the way through. There is salvation by, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, verse 12. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. No human can forgive sins. It's God who saves, Jesus who saves. Acts 4, verse 12, I've already said that one. And so, yes, and I've gotten already. But the last one, in fact, going through the whole book in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. Who has believed that, um, what he has heard from us? And who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, esteem him stricken. we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him uh, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It's there in the Old Testament too. The whole scarlet thread runs all the way through. Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And we know this because of Scripture alone. Yuri, is, there, is it going to work, do you think? There is a short video. If you bear with me, I know I've, I've gone on far too long, a lot longer than I thought I would. And longer than so I, are you I'm Jewish? Sorry, yes. Uh, are you Christian? You no. I'm going to be real honest. I'm concerned um, about my immortal soul. So are you sorry for your sins? Yes. Be merciful to me. Please forgive my sins. a math teacher at this college that I've been coming to almost every day for about 14 years. So are you Jewish? Yes. Are you Christian? No. I'm going to be real honest. I'm concerned um, about my immortal soul. So are you sorry for your sins? 
Yes. Be merciful to me. Please forgive my sins. I'll put it on to you, too. Sorry. I'll put it on to you, too. You're a, it a is, math teacher um, at this college that I've been coming to almost every day for about 14 it's, years. It's um, a professor of maths in an American university who um, is of Jewish faith, and he's, he's, he says, I'm, I'm just mortally concerned about my immortal soul. So what can I do? I was praying about this, and I was praying to meet you, and here you are. And the whole conversation that ultimately leads to him accepting a Bible. We don't know where it goes, but he's heard the good news. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for your word that is timeless, is perfect, is always right. And I want to thank you, Father, that uh, you enable us to believe in what you have done. I thank you for... Jesus Christ, that you sent him, Lord, that he died for our sins, but it didn't end there, Lord. I want to thank you that on the third day he defeated death and rose again. I want to thank you that on the cross he said it is finished. Father God, there is nothing that we must do to be saved apart from Jesus. But Father, I also want to say thank you, Lord, and, and offer our lives and offer our time and offer our hands, offer everything we have as a service for you. Not that we could ever repay the debt, not we could ever make up for what you have done for us, Lord, but because of what you've done for us. As a celebration of what you've done for us, as a thank you for what you've done. Father God, thank you. Amen.